another allergy attack. I have allergy medicine in me. <clears throat> I will be totally incoherent because of that. But that's okay. No, just kidding. Just a worn out voice from that. Orlando does that to me this time of year. So, I apologize for that. I appreciate you uh, going with me uh, in dealing with my uh, scratchy voice. So I will power up the mic and uh, we will we will roll through this. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Last week we looked at Jesus and the prayer that he began and we centered our time on those two words, our Father. And, and I hope that uh, helped you in your prayers this week and you really took to heart the concept of, of God being before us as a Father and how uh, I want to talk to him then in that way, respond to Him in that way, that prayer then is not about formality, it's not about certain code words or things that have to be said to start and finish, but that it's talking to your Father and to be open with Him, have a discussion with Him and, and treat Him in that way. Uh, and I had even uh, a, a quite a number of you uh, actually come up to me and say, you know, I didn't have that that good father to be able to relate that concept to. And that's why I did touch on that a minute and say, uh, I definitely appreciate that. And that's something to, to deal with that when God is described as our father, that it's not in terms of a negative at all. And I hope that you will be able to appreciate that God can be your father and be in that relationship that exists with him that you did not have uh, with your earthly father. And uh, all of us have our different burdens we carry in our relationships that we've had from past to present. Uh, and one thing that I think is able, that we can all appreciate is that God is our father. And that really gives us a, a very warm, intimate comprehension of what God wants us to have in our dealings with Him and how we talk to Him and the way we talk to Him and the things that we can ask of Him. The rest of those words, though, in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, our Father in heaven. And, and that reminds us then of who God is. And I think this uh, is another nail in the coffin against calling God dear daddy like we talked about last week that some... Uh, argue pretty vehemently that that phrase uh, means of a little child talking to God and so we shouldn't address God as a heavenly father or have any respect but just, just say dear daddy and uh, that's not here I thought you to see that balance of yeah he's your father there's that warmness and closeness but then you also have in heaven a reminder of where he is and who He is. And I think that's important. It reminds us we are talking to the Father, the God, who can do everything. He is sovereign over all things. He controls all things. can accomplish anything. And that is a powerful reminder then that when, when something is going wrong, when something is going well, 
You are talking to the person who can do something about it. Whatever it is that is on your heart when you are talking to the Father, you are talking to someone who is in charge. This isn't like talking to your friends of, oh man, you have no idea how bad it's been. And we, you know, we can commiserate with one another. Think about talking to somebody who can actually do something about it. And that begins to bring home, I hope, to our minds that we have a father who can accomplish things, who can do anything. I'm enjoying that still with my kids, that they think I can do anything. You know, they're at that young age where dad can fix everything, dad can do anything, dad's not afraid of anything, you know, and eventually that will all wear off and they will see me for who I really am. But we have God the Father who can do all things, who can fix anything, who's afraid of nothing and can accomplish everything. Uh, Such a powerful reminder of there's where our trust lies and that heavenly Father. And I think this also reminds us that we're not home. Uh, When we pray to God, it's a reminder that we're in a temporary place right now. Uh, we're, we're longing to be with God. We're longing to be able to go home to be with God. And we are on the earth and we are dealing with the things of a fleshly nature and of a worldly nature. And God is in heaven and one day we're going to get to be with Him. And so it puts that whole picture together of our Father in heaven. A close relationship. I want to be with you You are sovereign over all things. You are in control of everything. And I am yielding to you because you are the Father who has authority, who reigns in heaven, and is in charge over all things. The next phrase, uh, commonly translated in nearly all the translations, is hallowed be your name. I really like the Holman Christian standard. Your name be honored as holy. Uh, a lot of the modern translations haven't had the guts, I think is the probably the right word, to change that phrase because that's been such a memorized and known phrase, hallowed be your name, but I don't know that many people really know what that means <laughs> when you say How, if something is hallowed. You know, well, what is that really getting at? Uh, and the language of the Holman Christian Standard really translates accurately the concept the name of God, that God Himself, He will be honored as holy. And there is the third nail in the coffin against the dear daddy, is that you are holy, and I will respect that, and I will honor that. I know who you are. I know who I am. I know where we are in this relationship. And that's why it's you know it's a delicate balance of a reminder that With the Father, yes, there is that closeness and comfort and intimacy, but there is with the Father authority. He's in charge, and we're children, and we're not in charge. He's the one in control, and so I hold Him in reverence. I give Him all the honor. I have to glorify Him. And I think that is the picture that here Jesus is bringing across to us. But this goes... This goes far more than not using God's name flippantly. There's way more to this than that. 
when we are going to say that God's name needs to be held as holy and it needs to be honored in the most holy way, then what that means is that our lives have to be holy. That's what the, the kind of the kicker of what that means. If I am going to pray to God, I want your name to be held in honor as holy throughout all the world. Then that begins with me, that I'm not discrediting his holiness as I try to reflect the godliness. Too often we can just say, oh, you know, we want we want God to be considered as holy. But but that then puts a responsibility upon us immediately that I want to make sure that I'm not doing anything to discredit the holiness of God and the honor that God deserves. I will never forget my father. I don't know if he did it multiple times or just once, but I will not forget at least the one time. That he sat me down and he tried to explain to me that the actions that I took in life were a reflection upon him and a reflection upon the family. And that decisions and actions I took would be a reflection upon that church and it would be a reflection upon God. And that is just so true. It is so true. Children reflect the Father. Children reflect the parents. That's just the way it works. It is not idly that we went through those qualifications in Titus and saw the, the, the statements about ruling the household, that children reveal something about the nature of the home. And children, as we usually uh, have our little proverb, or a chip off the old block, we like to say. Uh, they typically are car- carbon copies, and as parents, we begin to realize they copy a lot of the things we wish they weren't copying. Uh, they reflect a lot of the things that, that magnify our weaknesses and the things that we do wrong. And so it's a reminder to us, if we are going to respect God and we are going to hold God in honor and we are going to treat him as holy, then it is a responsibility on our part not to tarnish the reputation of God. There's a lot of things that have been done in the history that have tarnished the reputation of God. There's been a lot of things done in the name of Christianity that have tarnished the reputation of God. We have to be really careful because as much as we want to proclaim who we are, what we stand for, and who we follow, there comes with it the responsibility and gravity that people are looking at us And they are looking to see if we are upholding the name of God as holy. And when we make bad decisions and we do not choose wisely, we defame the name of God. As we see so repeatedly condemned throughout the law of Moses, one of the greatest condemnations against the people of Israel who were to be the holy people of God is that the Gentiles blasphemed them blasphemed God because of the actions of the people of Israel. We can't be that. And that's why we see, like in 1 Peter 1, verse 15, we are to be holy in everything that we do because God is holy. It's a reminder of that relationship. God is holy. His name is to be honored. And therefore, there's a responsibility that is on my part that I must be separate from the sinfulness of the world. And so I think that's uh, a neat reminder when we pray to God. 
is that God is my Father. He is in heaven. He is in control of all things. He is sovereign. And then the reminder of, I need to get my life right with God. When I talk to God, it should be a little bit of a reminder every time that I'm talking to the pure and holy one, and I need to align my life. If you remember last week when we talked about prayer, we talked about what it's not. And we made the point there at the end of verse 8. He knows everything uh, that you need before you ask him. We said, what's the point of prayer? To align our lives to match God's purpose. And you see that here with this statement. This isn't just make sure you say God's holy. (laughs) This is so that you understand by uttering the words that God is holy That means something to me. That means I have to do something. That means that changes who I am. That begins to put me in line with God's purpose. So that the things that I'm about to request, the things that I'm about to talk to about, and the concerns that I have, it reminds me, I need to be thinking on that same plane. That God is holy. That God is different. And God being holy and different is also a good thing. Sometimes it's often treated in a bad way. There's a lot of good to that because the essence of holiness is that God's different. He's separate. He he doesn't act like everybody else. And everybody else that we deal with lets us down, does harm to us, and God's not that way. God is different. And when you're going to talk to Him, understand He has your best interests at heart. And I think that's the picture of the relationship of the father to the child. I may say no, to my children, and especially we talked about last week, they might ask some strange things. You know, they want cookies and ice cream, you know, right before dinner. Can we have cookies for dinner? No. Uh, you're not going to do things like that. But I say no because I have their best interests at heart. We have to understand that. We say no, yes, later. We do that because we are concerned about them. We have what's in their best interests. God is holy, He doesn't make mistakes. God is separate from the world. He's not going to let us down. He's doing what's in our best interest. Third, let's go on to your kingdom come. We need to use this to make it through, so pardon me. Your kingdom come. Oh, it's like like a whole second wind there when I get a drink. That's great. This has been understood a number of ways, and uh, been taught a number of ways. It's been... I think there's at least two ways that I've, I've seen most commonly used, and uh, I think they're both wrong, so uh, I'll just kind of stand on a limb here and just kind of go at it the way I think it is. Um, while John the Baptist was on the earth, uh, he was repeatedly preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was near. Jesus also, as he comes to the earth, he was also preaching the nearness of God's kingdom and the certainty uh, of its arrival and how it would come in power. And I believe this model prayer certainly has that historical aspect of the kingdom of God that it was about to come. It was going to arrive on the day of Pentecost as we read about in Acts 2. But I want us to consider that there was a lot more to the prophecy. And that's something I've begun to really appreciate the more I've uh, studied the prophets is that the the prophets were not just simply preaching, well, one day the kingdom's going to come. They did. 
But they also talked about all the things that were going to happen when the kingdom arrived. And there's a number of things that are pictured about what the kingdom was going to do. And I think that is involved in the prayer that, that Jesus is offering here. Is that when the kingdom was going to arrive, it just wasn't like, okay, now we're all said and done. But it was going to arrive with power. And it was going to spread throughout all the earth. It was going to be conquering nations. One of my favorites is Daniel 2. I just love the picture of the kingdom described as a stone shattering the world nations, then turning into this mountain that grows up and becomes and fills the whole earth. Well, that was going to take some time. That was going to be something that would be a process as the nations would be subjugated to the power of the kingdom of God, and as the hearts of men would be conquered by God's kingdom. And so that's what I think we ought to to begin to see here, is that, yes, the kingdom arrived at Pentecost, and I believe that is certainly the focus of what Jesus is beginning in the prayer, but there is much more to the kingdom concept that the prophets were looking forward to, and that even John the Baptist and Jesus were preaching of events that were going to certainly take place. The kingdom was now going to go forth and conquer. Revelation 19 is a great picture of that, as you see Jesus riding on the white horse and uh, what a great picture! You have blood all the way up to the hilt of the of the horse. There, this pure white white animal is is here's Jesus. He's come in his kingdom. He has arrived, and he's conquering the nations, and he's conquering the hearts of the people, and he's trying to bring them all in. And I think that would make the most sense. Uh, I have difficulty thinking that Jesus was preaching for something exclusively about the arrival of the kingdom because that would only happen in just two years. Uh, And he's teaching his disciples how to pray. Uh, And so if you're going to teach them something about, here's how I want you to pray while I'm gone, uh, I think there was more to it. And so we're talking about not only may the kingdom then arrive that we see in power in Acts 2 with the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but even more so that the kingdom would be successful and as it would conquer, as it would go through and destroy, as we would see later on, as it would destroy the the world nations like the nation of Israel, like the empire of Rome. And then it would also go through and conquer the hearts of men, as we see Acts 1-8 promising that the word would go forth from Zion and it would go in there from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And so what I think then we see in this prayer is actually an evangelistic concept. Is that we are wanting the kingdom of God to spread. And we want it to rule over the nations that are around us today. Wisely we pray that our our leaders and our nation follow the ways of God. And we wisely pray that people in this world will seek after God and submit their lives to the rule that Jesus currently has. We, we want that in our prayers. And so what I want us to think about is how often do we, do we really address that when we pray to God as Jesus lays this out in a model prayer of, I want you to be praying for the hearts of people to change. I want you to pray for the success of God's kingdom everywhere. Let's be sure that we have that kind of focus, that we are thinking about the souls of others, that we are praying for the people that are specific in your life. Not just simply here we come together and we pray that that 
In general, people will come to God. That's good. But there are people in your life that you know specifically that I don't know and others don't know who could use the prayer of this co-worker, this schoolmate, this neighbor, this acquaintance, this friend. They need the gospel. They need to have their heart softened so that the kingdom of God can rule over them and they will submit to God. We need to be mindful of that. And we can pray for a lot of things that are going on for ourselves. And I think it is interesting that up to this point, there hasn't been anything in this prayer that has been about self. It's been about recognizing who we are talking to. It's about recognizing who he is and recognizing his character of holiness and now talking about the purpose of God and the kingdom of God. And so, so far, none of this has been about ourselves in prayer. Jesus is not offering up, okay, now here's your chance to talk about all these other things that are going on. It is still focused outward. And I think that helps us when we're going to talk to God. And we're going to align our purpose to God's purpose is to talk to God first about everybody else before we talk to God about ourselves. I think that's a great reminder. We kind of have a saying that your problems don't seem as bad when you think about other people's problems, right? You know, every time we go to Shans, we're reminded that things aren't so bad because of the waiting room full of of little kids that have cancer, little kids who have all sorts of horrible things. And as much as we've talked about, we I think we have seen every doctor, but we have not seen an oncologist, and we pray that will be the one doctor we never see, though we own all the other ones. You get reminded very quickly when you're dealing with the problems and despair of others how good your life really is. And think about that in prayer. You're talking about the kingdom of God. Let's think about the needs of others. And specifically, we're talking about spiritual needs here. That we have it good. We have God as our Father. We can talk to the Almighty Creator. The One who reigns in heaven. We have a great relationship that exists between us and God. Let's channel that power and talk to the Father about our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our acquaintances, everybody that we come in contact with about what can be done to bring them into the kingdom of God also. And like the last one, that means there's responsibility on my part. <laughs> it's not just simply praying, well, I just hope somehow, some way. Somebody will do something for so-and-so. Always believe and always think that you're the only one who has that opportunity. That you might be the only way this person will know about God and will know about His kingdom. That you might be the only one. Nobody else may ever have the boldness to go up to them and explain to them the gospel. No one may ever have that courage to walk up to them and tell them about the love of Christ and the responsibility that comes with that. We might be the only one. So there's a responsibility in this part of the prayer also. We desire God's kingdom to conquer. 
We want God's kingdom to rule in this nation. We want God's kingdom to rule over this earth as nations are put down before it. And we want God's kingdom to rule in the hearts of man. And as long as there are lost souls, our prayer continues forth that God's kingdom will rule in their hearts and in their lives. And we need them to come to Christ. And that makes that our responsibility. Which fits what the next phrase is. Your will be done. Again, we're focused on God. Uh, We're focused on His purpose. We're focused on what He wants. And we are concerned about what God's way is going to be. And I don't know that I have fully appreciated this phrase as much as I should. Your will be done. And as I sat thinking about it, I just kind of came to a very obvious conclusion that, you know, it's kind of those no-brainers, but it just kind of struck me that if I am serious about this part of the prayer of what Jesus is telling me to do, then that really means that I am asking for things to go God's way, not my way. If I'm really serious about what Jesus said here, I'm not going into prayer asking God to do things my way. I think most of the time I like to pray to God for things to go my way. <laughs> I want This is what I want. This is the way I think it should be. And if you don't do this, Lord, I'm not going to understand. I might have a little hissy fit while I'm here and lose my faith in the process. And that's kind of the way we want to pray before God. Your will be done means I realize this is not about me. It's about God's purpose. It's about God's will. And so I have a very important task then because I want to be the obedient child and I want to be found pleasing to the Father. And so what I want to do then is pleasing to Him. I want to be found in His approval. I want to do what is in His best interest. I want to be then doing the things that He says. And so I don't know that I have fully realized the difficulty of this part of the prayer. Lord willing, in a couple of weeks we'll get to grasp that difficulty more when we see Jesus in Gethsemane saying those very words really drives home the point about it's not about doing what I want to have happen. It's about wanting God's purpose and God's will to be accomplished. This also means that we cannot be innocent bystanders in this. I... I, began to be shocked more and more as I went through this and realized none of this can be idle words. Every time I say one of these phrases, it means I have to do something. And the same is here. This isn't idle words. Well, I just hope that God's will will be done as I sit on the couch eating popcorn watching Survivor. That's just not it. That's not what's going on here when he says that. This means I want to be a useful tool to accomplish that. It means there's a responsibility again on my part that says, well, I want God's will to be done. Now what can I do about it? One of my favorites that we see of that is Isaiah when the question goes out, well, who's going to go on behalf of the Lord? And Isaiah did not go down in prayer and say, may the Lord's will be done. I hope somebody will do it. Here I am. Send me. That's what the... Prayer is about here. Your will be done. How did Jesus show God's will to be done? Here I am. Send me. That's what Jesus did. 
All the way to the cross. God's will was being done. And I think that is so powerful that when we see these words is that we cannot pray those words in sincerity at all if we do not understand that that requires a humble and complete commitment to doing God's will. I'm just not serious about God's will being done. If I'm not the first one raising my hand saying, I'm going to be the one to help out. Lord, your will be done. What can I do to accomplish it? Lord, I want your will to be done. How can that be done here where I work? Here where I live? Here where I do my various activities and schedule? How can I accomplish that? That is certainly behind the prayer. When you see the Word Himself, the Son of God, volunteering to come in the flesh, to live among us, to bring about our deliverance and bring about our redemption, to go to the cross Jesus exemplified exactly what that volunteer concept looked like. Here I am, send me. And so what are we doing to help the kingdom of God come into the hearts of people? What are we doing to accomplish God's will? What are we doing then to make sure that we are the lights into this community and the people that we are in contact with? As this part of the prayer really just, I think, is a great reminder. If we had that beginning as we talked to God and remembered, okay, I'm talking to this close, intimate one that I can say anything to, but he's expecting things out of me. He's expecting me to be a worker in the kingdom. He's expecting me to be one who is concerned about his will above my will. And again, then when I bring my concerns and my petitions, as we'll get to look at next week, Lord willing, that helps me align my life to God's life. When I first begin with, it's about God's will and not my will. It's not about what I want in life. It's not about my wishes. It's not about my hopes and and wants and all these desires. It's not about that. I want God's will to be done. Because I love God so much. And that's what we are doing in our prayer. So I want to leave you with a couple of points. I'm going to make it. I'm very excited. One more time. So when we pray to God. Man, it is like second wind. That feels great. Good. Remember that our Father is holy. We go to God. And we're talking to the Father. But let's not take that too lightly. I want to kind of swing the pendulum away from the the stilted formalism that we might have felt. We often feel like, well, I've got to say certain things and say certain fancy words that I don't really know what they mean. It's not about that. It's about a conversation with God. You talk to God, but there is an appreciation and a recognition that He is God. He is in heaven. And He is holy. And He's not like anybody else we've dealt with before. He is completely 100% pure, completely 100% honest, trustworthy, everything that we can rely upon in life. And so the person that we are talking to can do something. He can act. He has control over things. He has power over things. And he wants certainly what is in our best interests as a father. Remember then when we are praying, then we are aligning ourselves to God's will. We are trying to 
come before God and as we talk to Him, we are rearranging ourselves. Because uh, prayer is often in our times of crisis when we really come to God the most and we have a lot of difficulties and we have concerns. And so we bring them to God and we are concerned about these various things. And when we're going through that trouble and trauma, if we remember these kinds of concepts like uh, God's kingdom is my utmost importance. And that helps remind me about a greater purpose that I have in this world. It's not about all of my troubles and all of my sicknesses and all of my pains. And it's just not about that. As I come to God in prayer, I immediately step out of my problems and realize, wait a minute. Yes, there's things I want to talk to God about my problems, but there's a greater thing going on in this world. The kingdom of God is the greater thing that's going on that I am a part of and I want to be involved in. And I want to do whatever I can to advance the kingdom of God with the people that I am in contact with. And then I'm making sure my prayers are spiritually centered. God's will must be done. And so I'm coming before God and I have those distresses and problems and concerns. But I want to make sure that I'm not asking for things selfishly. I want God's will to be done above all else. And so I leave you with James 4 and verse 3. When he criticizes his audience there and he says, the reason you're not having your prayers answered is that you ask wrongly. You ask amiss because they were asking selfishly. And we need to analyze and make sure we are not asking prayers of a selfish nature. That the priority as we talk to our Father is I want his will done. He's the most important thing. I'm just a child, and I'm glad to be a child in the kingdom of God.